Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode of Stuff They Don't Want You To Know is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor. Featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Plus, build your dream setup with great deals on select gaming monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at Alienware.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge gaming technology to conquer the competition and free shipping on everything. Amazing prices await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. You don't take yada yada in life. Don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccans. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. We're beginning today's episode with a disclaimer. Our discussion today contains descriptions of violence against children, and as such, it may not be suitable for all listeners. Today we're examining war. It's one of humanity's continual curses. It's a shadow that's followed this species for the entirety of its existence, possibly before. You know, war may predate Homo sapiens. If we're just talking about group armed conflict, the first war uh, that is in, that is like acknowledged universally occurs in Mesopotamia in 2700 BCE, and since then, some kind of conflict has occurred in every single era of history, on every part of the populated globe. It continues today. It's a horrific thing. Uh, we know we have people in the audience listening with us today who have experienced the horrors of armed conflict firsthand. And today we're focusing on something that often doesn't get examined as much as it should or often gets examined through a Western slant. And that's uh, that's children in conflict, not as bystanders, not as innocents in the background, but as soldiers. So here are the facts. So what exactly is a child soldier? I mean, it's pretty much what it sounds like. Technically, it's a soldier, uh, a 
I mean, it, so it's also like the term soldier makes it a little misleading because oftentimes they're a part of guerrilla groups. Um, they're not like exactly going through the proper channels of like training in the way like a, a, a U.S. military member might. But it's a soldier, anyone who is under the age of 18 who is, quote, recruited or used by an armed force or armed group in any capacity. So this is like a wide swath here. Uh, and this doesn't just mean direct fighting. They can also be used uh, in other roles as, you know, uh, couriers, spies human shields uh suicide bombers uh or even cooks like actually just helping kind of the logistical day-to-day of like keeping up an armed force um and they can and oftentimes are victims of sexual exploitation yeah it's true i just want to jump in really quickly to talk about a couple of the roles one of the big things that we learned about was in the revolutionary war and wars past when Drums were used very commonly on battlefields by varying armies uh, as a way to communicate things at far distances. So a commander would communicate something to a drummer, and it would usually be a child. A lot of times it would be a child, not always, who would then communicate that across a battlefield. And those children weren't fighting necessarily, but they were no less in danger than anyone who was wielding a gun. Right. Yeah. And there there are numerous other support roles, such as porters, just carrying stuff, uh, often because you are threatened with physical injury or death if you do not. You want to say, obviously, the, uh, you know, people in the audience are, are thinking the same thing, that the use of drums to organize large groups of people over areas, especially during conflict, is by no means restricted to the Revolutionary War. Drum communication is itself um, an ancient art of communication that uh, I think was didn't originate with world militaries, but was uh, what was adopted by world militaries because it is so efficient. It's also in, it's also part of the reason why, in the era of chattel slavery in the United States, uh, drums were often forbidden possessions because enslaved people could use them to communicate over distance. So it's, it's a powerful thing. And I know it's a tangent, but it, but it is a powerful thing. No, it is. It's a really good point, but it also makes me think of like, you know, as far back as like, you know, Roman militaries where they would uh, create these crazy formations and these phalanxes and drums would often be used to indicate which formation they should assume. And one thing I love about the revolutionary war example there that you bring up, Matt, is that it gives lie to the stereotypes that are implied in much of Western media. Uh, you know, the practice of forcing children into combat in some capacity is not restricted to any particular region, nor country, nor time. Children are, as we speak, recruited in areas across the world by armed non-state actors, by which I mean groups outside of government control, uh, as well as by state-supported armed forces. The non-state armed groups are, this is important to know, are more likely than state-supported groups to use children in direct armed conflict. When we say non-state groups, we mean things like militias, terrorist organizations, secessionist groups, and so on. And right now, you know, it is proven that this stuff is happening as we record this, as you listen today. But the next question is how many child soldiers exist. And if you you can already see how the definition goes beyond direct armed conflict, uh, it, it's very difficult to get a good estimate of how many um, how many children are victimized in this way. Yes. And, and estimates on the number of child soldiers out there in the world really does vary. It depends on the definition, really. That's that's what we're talking about here. Uh, if we only count children in direct combat, that's one thing. If we include any kind of supporting roles, that's another thing. Also, it's awfully difficult to get true numbers out of from a lot of places and to get militaries to actually tell you the the numbers of children that are at play here. But there are as many as 250,000 child soldiers right now in at least 20 countries that's a staggering number 250,000 that's you, a higher end estimate too that's that's one of the ones that includes support roles i believe mm-hmm. it is if you look back in throughout history you you can find reports that it, during the world war 1 conflict the the first great war 
there were around 250,000 child soldiers allegedly a part of Europe's armies, like the Western armies. And it's just to think that that many children are still somehow being forced into one of these roles, or it's sometimes not forced, but almost always forced. Have either of you guys seen the movie uh, from 2015 called The Beasts of No Nation? Yes. I actually haven't seen it. I really love the director, Kerry Fukunaga, but I know it's about uh, it, like training a child, like an, an orphan, uh, as a child soldier in Africa um, during a conflict there, like with a, a warlord kind of situation, which is kind of why I was saying, like, it's such a wide swath because it is obviously exploitation and oftentimes it's like an opportunity for these kids to like have some kind of support and some kind of community at the cost of absolutely being exploited. Um, you, you can speak to the film more Ben since you've actually seen it, but I, I, I know it did really well and it, it was pretty beloved and it's supposed to be a bit of a, a, a serious, um, you know, hit you right in the feels kind of situation. Mm -hmm. And we will explore recruitment processes, uh, indoctrination is is a better word i believe uh, and how how this takes place uh, if we look at the wide margin of estimations we see one of the lower end ones is the un verification of uh, certain cases so un verification is corroborated it's proven you know that we have identified the specific individual and we have identified what happened to them when and how and in that regard they verify 30,000 cases uh, that's and still even by that metric which is very um, has a lot of constraints that the number of child soldiers has doubled since 2012 more than doubled it's risen 159 percent this is not a vestigial practice from days gone by Child Soldiers International, which is uh, an NGO seeking to end this practice, so obviously they, uh, they have an agenda at play. In 2017, this institution estimated that there were possibly more than 100,000 children in state-level and, and non-state military orgs around the world. Either way you look at it, whichever numbers you wish to use, it's inarguable. This is a situation involving thousands and thousands of kids. They're kids who often have fallen through the cracks of the local government or community systems in place, and it can be very difficult to track them because the forces that use these kids obviously don't always keep paperwork on them or documentation because that would be hard proof of, you know, war crimes. The big question is how did we get here? And like, what, what is the history of children in combat? We've mentioned a few things, but it is, it's safe to say that younger people in combat has been a practice that's gone on for as long as war has existed. And as we said, that goes well back into the BC years, the BCE years. A lot of times, as we mentioned already, a feature film that was made about the subject, the the concept of a child soldier soldier has been romanticized to an extent. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's put in a positive light, but it's definitely told through fictional stories or, you know, based on nonfiction stories many times. Yeah, I would say there is romanticization, uh, especially when we're looking at idealized or airbrushed versions of past events, events that occurred uh, while no one living today was alive, seems to be one of the big cutoffs. Uh, and it's, it's in stark contrast to the way uh, this practice is portrayed in the modern day and amid other, other cultures, right? Like if it's, it's odd that the drummer boy of the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, is, off, is, is sometimes seen as, uh, as a much prettier story than it actually is. Or think of, think of it, you know, another romanticized trope is the idea, at least in the West, of underage boys lying about their age to gain entry into military service, right? And it's something that we see uh, time and time again in film and fiction, you know, even, even to the point where uh, a doctor or authority who's assessing uh, a would-be recruit knows their line and kind of gives them like a nod and a wink, you know, 
uh, well, because they needed everyone they could get, right? So it, right. Like, it, it behooved them to look the other way. Well, yeah, that was the British forces. There's a documentary I was watching in preparation for this where there are actual World War One soldiers who were children at the time, uh, 15, 16, who did sign up. Uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't as though they were forced. They wanted to go and they wanted to sign up uh, and they wanted to fight in, in the Great War. And a lot of it had to do with propaganda that was put out by military leaders about we need you and they would try and sign up they knew they weren't able to sign up but they did it anyway and lied about their age Mm -hmm. and this isn't restricted uh, to the first world war napoleon used teenagers in his army this is a, a pretty common practice and on both sides of both world wars child soldiers existed and often, you know, as as you said, they've been um, they've been indoctrinated by propaganda. So, when we look at the modern child soldier, we have to ask ourselves: Why would commanders or uh, people in authority who are adults? Why would they continue to use underage, like use children as soldiers? There's a guy named Peter W. Singer who argues that. Part of this can be traced to the proliferation of light automatic firearms, which is an interesting point that a lot of people, you know, don't consider. Light firearms of of this nature can be carried and used by children. Uh, This makes them more viable in direct combat than they perhaps were in days of yore when guns were heavier or when um, they had to use weapons that maybe required the strength of an adult. You know what I mean? Like very like longbows or large swords. Yeah. Another big reason is things like overpopulation and uh, scarce resources and absolutely crippling poverty that would make uh, this seem like a valid alternative to that kind of life. Again, like I was saying earlier, like just the, the need for any kind of support at the cost of, you know, being absolutely exploited. Some leaders of various armed groups um, argue that using children is a positive because they're fearless in battle because they haven't been taught otherwise. Um, and they don't have the same experience with like self-preservation, you know, that's like, you gotta, this is not exactly the same thing, but like small children are fearless often. Like they're, they're willing to take risks because they haven't had time to learn from their mistakes yet. They um, haven't had that touch the stove, get burned. Exactly. Anyway. And this is something that is absolutely exploited. Um, well, even, also, even if they, even if they have something like that, they still don't have that fear of death. That no. under that true understanding of finality of, of what it is. And especially if they grew up religious, then there's this, there's just, there's a lot to be exploited there. In the minds of the child. Not to mention that they're still developing and maturing mentally, uh, and they're just a lot more easy to take advantage of. Or to, especially under the guise of, like, a helping hand, of course I'll do whatever you want me to do. You're, you're keeping me from starving to death. You're giving me a place to sleep. So this is also heavily exploited. And there's another thing here that's been reported, is that child soldiers would sometimes be used to confuse the enemy. And to make the enemy feel less inclined to fire back at a child psychological warfare that is coming at them, even with a bayoneted rifle or, you know, within with an assault rifle. When there's a child coming at you with that, it it does something to you. Can you imagine? I mean, it's just like talk about disregarding like basic rules of engagement or whatever. This is you're right, Ben. It's absolutely psychological warfare. Not to mention they're cheaper to maintain than f- fully grown soldiers. They don't need as much, and they you know they're small. They can get into tight spaces, things like that. I do want to point out um, <laughs> this is this is something that I I dove into years ago. For car stuff, of all things, we're doing an episode about what the driving age should be, right? We've got a lot of folks in the audience who are, you know, who just turned like 15 or 16 and you're going to get your license if there's not a pandemic in the U.S. And we've got a lot of people who are parents of kids who are turning driving age, right? And there, there's been this, you know, back and forth for a long time about what the appropriate age is for a kid to have a driver's license and operate a motor vehicle. It turns out that your brain and uh, your, your faculties aren't really fully developed 
until you're about 25. So if we say that someone needs to be an adult before they can drive, uh, then you would be getting your license at 25, which is just not going to fly. And we're bringing this up because this gives you a sense of how much growing children's brains still have to do, you know, when they're 14 or when they're when they're as young as eight years old. Um, This means that even if these kids feel that they are taking an opportunity and feel that they're volunteering, um, they're they may not have the cognitive development uh, such that we could consider this informed consent. Does that make sense? Does. So we are about to dive into some incredibly disturbing stories, folks, but we believe they are important and we believe people need to know about them. Again, what follows may not be suitable for all listeners. So we're going to pause for a word from our sponsor and we'll return in a moment. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life. And you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human-moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. Here's where it gets crazy. Recruitment tactics with hard air quotes around those. Yeah, and and the reason that we've got those there is because this is many times, often, not a consensual process between the child and whoever, whatever person or organization is doing that recruitment. Uh, Some children are fully abducted and taken from either families or whatever living situation they are in. Some are threatened. Uh, families are threatened sometimes. Uh, sometimes the children themselves, if they're alone, are uh, are coerced into joining by being offered things that they don't have available to them. 
if they weren't going to go with this person or group, things like drugs, money, uh, even even just other things like a place to sleep and uh, and a group to be with. Uh, almost almost like uh, we've discussed before in um, the the recruitment tactics of gangs. Mm-hmm. Uh, very similar stuff going on here, or or uh, sometimes cults, as we'll see, and then and then there's also a very rational decision uh, or a very rational threat, which is you have to join us because we will protect you against the other people, right, who are also coming uh, to your rural area uh, to wage war. So after this initial process, whatever you want to call it, recruitment kidnapping, um, coercion of some sort. After this begins the indoctrination process because they have these young malleable minds. One of the most well-known recent examples of this practice, especially in the States, comes from the infamous Joseph Coney, who is still at large. Uh, Long-time listeners, we've been doing this show for a while. You may recall in 2012, there was a, a, an awareness campaign called Coney 2012 that went viral. There were also a lot of criticisms about this campaign, the primary one being um, that people were becoming clicktivist, which is a portmanteau meaning uh, someone who confuses liking a post with doing something about a cause, doing something to support a cause they care about or oppose a problem, right? Um, do you guys remember when Coney 2012 was out? I do. Joseph Coney, leader of that thing called the Lord's Resistance Army. You know, honestly, I didn't remember much about that until I reread some of it. All I remembered was Coney 2012 and like the basic concept, but no, no specifics about the atrocities or what was going on. It's interesting how when it becomes such a slogan and an icon just you know, those things put together, Coney 2012, um, that's what you remember. Because, you know, the posts a lot of times would just be that. <laughs> Coney yeah. 2012, remember. And there is that documentary by Invisible Children. Uh, everybody agrees this is an abhorrent practice, but we need to understand how it works. And the LRA is uh, one of the organizations of which outsiders have intimate knowledge uh, because of the accounts of survivors. We have firsthand accounts. So for more than two decades, the LRA kidnapped an estimated 30,000 children from northern Uganda. So think about that again. The UN has 30,000 verified cases, they said. The LRA kidnapped an estimated 30,000. You see how the numbers get Fuzzy. It's difficult to track. But we do know that the LRA forced these children into military service and they brainwashed them. If you uh, check out our YouTube video on how cults work, you'll you'll recognize a lot of commonalities here. First, they instill existential fear. If you're a child who has been kidnapped by the LRA, uh, they're not just telling you that they'll kill you if you try to escape. They're telling you that the communities you try to escape to, like go if you try to run back home, if you have a home to go to still, they're telling the kids that the community they escape to will also murder them in, in various unspeakable ways. Uh, but in the case of the LRA, an even more insidious thing about this is it's not true. Coney's opponents do not kill child soldiers, but the kids have no way to know that. Yeah, no, for sure. The othering factor it really plays a big part. I, I, I was reading up a little bit, um, and I, I think uh, it's speculated that that film I was talking about, Beasts of No Nation, is somewhat loosely based on Coney. It's sort of meant to be sort of like a amorphous African country that they don't name it, um, but it's very similar to the types of tactics we're talking about here. Yeah, and you know, on top of that, after you've gotten in their heads that way already. One of the practices, though, again, we've talked about before, would be to remove the sense of self, the the identity from the child's mind, to um, restrict things from them that would remind them of home, of their culture, of their family. Um, there's there's an example that you have here, Ben, of the Calabash Gourd, which is um, 
I believe, used as a ceremonial instrument in Uganda. And it's something that would be very common for a child growing up there in northern Uganda. But then the LRA specifically uh, restricts this in, in, and forbids any use of, of this gourd. Yeah, it's, it's all it's all kind of textbook like cult leader type behavior too. The like the separation, the isolation, the you know the um, kind of insular situation, and almost like having their own terms, separating people from their own culture and their own family. A lot of the same kind of uh, tactics it seems like that that cult recruiters use. Which again, you know, I I don't say this all the time, but the video we mentioned earlier that presents this stuff does hold up because these rules don't really change. These tactics don't change. They evolve with stuff like social media and so on, but it, it's still the same process, right? Um, other activities are forbidden that give that sense of self. Whispering is uh, is forbidden because that gives that is seen as a sign of plotting. And then from the cult perspective, one of the first things you do is remove privacy, remove agency. Uh, the commanders also demand the children participate in homicide. One former child soldier reported they would say things like, quote, if you didn't want to kill, are you not one of us? Please come forward and kill. It's not only uh, normalized by the LRA and organizations like it, it's also the only way to ensure a, your favor in the eyes of the commanders. It's the only way to get promoted. And in many cases, it's the only way not to be punished, especially in the beginning when you haven't been traumatized and desensitized. Um, this also includes situations where children have been forced to participate in the murder of members of their own community, uh, including relatives, neighbors, siblings, parents. And Coney himself, if this is a cult, Coney is the leader. Uh, I was recently uh, re-watching Apocalypse Now, the, the Redux version, which, as you guys know, is based on a novel called The Heart of Darkness. Uh, Kurtz in The Heart of Darkness, or Colonel Kurtz uh, in Apocalypse Now, are treated as these demigods by the population that they have exerted dominion over. And Coney... Uh, Coney does similar things. He he teaches his army that he is like a god, that he has spiritual powers. And part of this is because the LRA is a uh, an offshoot of an earlier non-military group called the Holy Spirit Movement. It was a religious group. So he's got that. They're all already kind of spiritual roots here. They believe he has powers is what I'm saying. Yes, in fact, Coney absolutely pushed this whole narrative. He claimed that he could speak with spirits and that all of the LRA actions were justified because they can, can, were handed down from on high in some way uh, in the name of religion. And Coney also claims that uh, Tipu Malang, which he refers to as the Holy Spirit, is protecting him and uh, keeping him safe and his, his followers, and that he is essentially communicating with him to let him know who like has bad intentions toward him so that he can actually read the intentions of his enemies uh, and, and get inside their heads with this kind of like spiritual intervention. Uh, and also that the spirits of those of fighters who have been killed will one day return to kill their perpetrators if the fighters attempt to escape so it's also like a malevolent quality to this uh, of like, you know, vengeful spirits coming back for revenge from beyond the grave. Right. Like uh, you have you're a child, you're a child and you've been forced to kill someone in the indoctrination process. Not only have you killed this person, but now uh, you are now you are uh, told that the spirit of the person you killed will come find you if you try to escape. Now you owe a debt to the LRA. And in addition to these sticks, the group dangles uh, a carrot. Future power and wealth. If we succeed in overthrowing the government, Coney said, every soldier, regardless of their rank, will be rewarded with very high rank in the military, and they'll also get a lot of material wealth. Uh, these, of course, are lies. Obviously, 
uh, a former child soldier of the LRA who's identified as Edward in an interview shared the story of his abduction, his indoctrination, and his eventual escape with The Guardian, the, the British outlet. And he had – he is distinct because he became relatively close to Joseph Coney himself. And so that's why that's why we have such an understanding of the LRA. Uh, we can tell you a little bit about his story. Again, this hasn't happened to every victim of this practice, but there are a lot of commonalities here. Um, and they are, it's, it's just, it's terrible. So here is uh, kind of the story of, of this, uh, this, this child soldier, Edward. He was kidnapped um, at the age of 13, abducted, and he tells it like this. In the middle of the night, the rebels came and surrounded our homes. Until then, I had never heard the sound of a gunshot. That's an interesting detail. Um, the rebels captured dozens of boys, the youngest of whom was around eight years old. Oh, my God. This, yeah, this person also reported that one of the neighbor children who was there, who got caught up in everything, was forced to murder his own parents. I mean, talk about the ultimate act of disconnecting, right? It's like, uh, first of all, it's like a show of like loyalty. You'll do this for me. And also now we're, I'm your parents now, you know, I mean, good God. Yeah. And, and in such a swift and brutal way, all of these children, the ones who made it through that encounter, ended up having to travel by foot for five days immediately following this. And according to this, this person, Edward, uh, the survivor, most of the, uh, most of the children died while on that five-day journey. You can imagine that was an arduous journey and in pretty bad conditions and without preparation for the children. Without um, sustenance, et cetera. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as far as the abductors are concerned, I'm sure they just figure that was collateral damage. And as long as we get a handful of them through, then it was worth the effort. Yeah. The survivors were forced into training once they arrived at the conclusion of the march using trees for target practice. And from day one, the victims were repeatedly forced to participate in the murder of people who attempted to escape, children who attempted to escape, and they were warned that they too would face the same fate if they tried something similar. This is one example you can learn much more about this practice. Uh, as we record today, I believe Joseph Coney is still at large. We're going to pause for a word from our sponsor, and we'll return with more on Child Soldiers. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then... You found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life. And you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscored.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. 
Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation blogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. And we have returned. We know this is a um, bleak, <laughs> an immensely bleak, that's a good word, an immensely bleak subject. Uh, so we actually took some extra time during the break just, just to hang out for a little bit. Uh, now we want to we want to explore consequences, punishment, death. As we said earlier, the LRA is one of the most well-known examples of this practice due to the Coney 2012 campaign, but it's far, far from the only example. And it's, uh, I think it's tremendously damaging to organizations who seek to address this problem when it is somehow portrayed as something that only happens on one continent. We know uh, the ver the confirmed use of child soldiers in the modern day occurs in Colombia, Burma, uh, Nepal. Uh, it's Yemen. It, you know, it's not restricted to this one place. And regardless of their stated ideologies or goals, you know, because a lot of these organizations are uh, aiming for different things, right? They're aiming to topple a government or they're aiming to um, – impose a uh, radicalized ideology of some sort. But when it comes to exploitation of children and the same rule, these kids are forced to kill or be killed. Ben, would you say it's more typical for these to be parts of sort of more ad hoc kind of militia type situations? Or are these like government sanctioned? This is like official. Yeah, it's it's a good question, Noel. And it's it's troubling, right? Because you know we talked about we we talked about the w what informed consent is, and when a brain is capable of making informed consent, uh, we, we have like pretty good evidence that the trend is this is more common in non-state actors, you know, militias, terrorist groups, Boko Haram, etc. Uh, but it still occurs in. There are two. There are two definitions here, or there are two factors. It can still occur in state level actors, and the big factor is what do you consider the threshold for a child? Because some first world countries allow you to enlist in the military at a very young age. There's one uh, country which is considered highly developed, and their uh, their age at which one can enlist in the military is 15 years and seven months. You even have to be 16. That country is the United Kingdom, which surprises a lot of – I mean, does that surprise you guys? It does. Does, does it uh, seem a, a little lot. low? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I thought it was 19. I really thought it was 19. But maybe it is just this, the restricted, restricted roles that you can have at that age. I know you're, mm. you can't be sent overseas or sent into a wartime battle unless you're 18 or 19. I, th I thought it was 19. And to be clarified, you can – Start your when we say you can enlist, that means you can start your application at 15 years and seven months. So it is an important point. To your point, Matt, you know, they're not sending these 15 year olds 
out into um, into a conflict. Is it almost like an ROTC type situation or like a, like training wheels, you know, like where you're decided this is the direction you want to go and you start a process at that age that probably involves some level of training or mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. All I know for sure is that you can, it's almost like, it's just like going, if you're going to send off your information to a college or something, you're trying to get in. It's very similar to that. You send that off early before you start any kind of, you know, actual process. Usually only about a year early, though. I mean, it's not like, you know, I would think by 16, they would be doing the thing. Or doing oh, something. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but that's why I, I think that's the reasoning behind starting at 15. Totally. What was it? 15.75. Totally. 0.75. That's very, very British. Um. And this is, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, this is a a cycle that is almost impossible to break, as anyone who's had post-traumatic stress disorder can attest. Uh, This is something that lives with you and follows you, likely for the rest of your life. And Well, yeah, and and just because we were talking about militaries, especially in the UK, using children, just want to differentiate that we're jumping back to talking about other situations where young children are coerced into these situations rather than signing up through some official process. Right. Right. Yeah. Because um, when you escape, that doesn't mean the story is over, right? There's still a living person there uh, who has sustained intense, intense psychological damage. Uh, In 1996, the UN released a report called The Impact of Armed Conflict on Children, and it explored the challenges that are facing these victims. uh, And then there was further research uh, into the into the factors explored in that UN report, and they found that you know uh, these survivors have often often struggle with poor literacy and numeracy or math skills because they're not they they didn't get the opportunity to continue schooling you know and they often have these debilitating psychiatric illnesses which is more than understandable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, more than half, uh, according to research that was conducted in Uganda and Palestine, more than half of former child soldiers showed signs of PTSD, and 9 out of 10 children in Uganda showed signs of depression. Which Um, is not surprising. I mean, who is that 1 out of 10 kid? Yeah. Who isn't, you know, just I don't know. I mean, do you think, I'm not trying to be flippant at all, but I mean, (laughs) there are kids maybe that are more predisposed to psychopathic or sociopathic tendencies, maybe they would be the ones that would like be really well suited for this. You know, that's an interesting idea, Noel, but these are children. And I would just say testing children for something like that is difficult. And even if you're really, really good at it, I I'm surprised that it wouldn't be 10 out of 10, but yeah, no, hundred percent. Well then also there's, I mean, without going into the weeds too much on this, there's also like margin of error. There's also how uh, the the problem of, as you said, that diagnosing or gauging what what a kid is really experiencing, and and you know, I've said it before. One of the strangest, most inspiring, and most terrifying things about this species is how quickly things become normalized or destigmatized, or you know become a a regular day-to-day thing or appear to be because our brains have to tell us that to survive. Um, They're in a situation, if you're in a situation where violence is normal and um, murder is routine, then it's a, it's a profound, it's it's a profoundly challenging thing to go back to the rest of the world where that is not the case. So, these survivors also often struggle with antisocial behavior. You've been taught that one must use violence to advance in the world, to get the things you want. And you've also been taught not to trust anyone <laughs> and that mm-hmm. everyone is seen as an adversary, you know, like mm-hmm. in, in some way, shape or form. It's it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. And there's... You know, we we wanted to be careful during this episode not to have lurid, exploitative um, horror stories here. But these children are scarred. Some of the things that you can uh, learn about 
on your own include eyewitness reports of forced consumption of blood or human flesh, mutilation of bodies, things like that. And, of course, we've talked a lot about boys being abducted, but this is not restricted to young males. Girls are abducted, female children, uh, and they are often forced into to be uh, what are called wives for commanders, or they are given over to other members of, of a group uh, for sexual abuse as some sort of reward. And then they, upon escaping, some of them return home with children. And they're hoping, you know, that they will be accepted by their community, which is an horrific situation. Uh, Human Rights Watch has found that sometimes when these kids are escaping, they can be harmed by the opposing groups that detain them. Like if there's a very heated conflict between one separatist group and one official army and a kid who's been kidnapped by the separatist group runs to the army for help, are they going to treat them as a victim or are they going to treat them as a prisoner of war? You know what I mean? And it's, it's a dangerous question. And, and here's the thing. Once all of this is occurring, let's say a child is in, uh, has been captured by an opposing force or something, and there's some kind of hearing that's going to occur, some kind of tribunal where the child is taken to court. And again, perhaps they have done terrible things in, in the role that they have been given and put into. Sometimes, and very often, relatives of this child, maybe close family members, maybe a guardian, essentially, often they are banned from attending this kind of hearing um, because, again, it's it's just further further pushing this child into isolation, really, is what it is, and holding them accountable for their actions, but actions that were provoked by someone else. And, and are, you know, arguably not their own actions. Yeah, fully. And I don't mean to say it that way. It's, it's something that the child's hands did, but that were guided by someone else's. I, I just... Ugh. That is so complicated. I mean, that, that's like that's even beyond like the idea of trying a child as an adult or like the you know a normal you know juvenile delinquency or you know bad behavior by by young children like in civilian, for lack of a better term, life. Because this is absolutely they are victims of abuse, of indoctrination, of manipulation that was beyond their control. How do you hold them accountable for that? And the groups that conspired to kidnap them. And to abuse them in this manner are, of course, not there to help them, right? They, they have thrown these children to the dust. So this is an upsetting episode, but it's, it's a very real thing. It's a conspiracy that occurs every, every day in the modern era. We are grateful to point out that there are steps being taken to end this practice. Uh, their efficacy is not what we, you know, what anyone would wish for in a perfect world. But here's what's happening. So the use of child soldiers, just like assassination, is a clear violation of international law, right? Uh, The practice of using child soldiers continues because to those in power who are devoid of a certain degree of humanity, the results are worth it. To them, the results are worth it. Uh, So In 1977, there was this thing called the Additional Protocols that were added to the 1949 Geneva Conventions. And then there was another agreement, the Convention on the Rights of the Child in 1989, 2002, the Rome Statute of the ICC, International Criminal Court. Uh, These all forbid any armed forces from using children under the age of 15 in direct armed combat. But there's not a um, there's not an international standard for when a government can enlist someone in their armed services. And this addresses what we were talking about a minute ago. Currently, it's a little bit divisive as to whether the children themselves should be prosecuted and held accountable for war crimes. Um, incredibly complicated issue. International law doesn't explicitly prohibit this. But it does limit the punishments that can be meted out to these children. Um, There is no death penalty on the table and no life imprisonment. 
Oh, at least there's that. Yeah, which I guess is thanks. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess it's good that the international community could at least agree on that. So in 2000, something called the OPEC Treaty came into force. This is, uh, and, you know, we don't get to choose how the UN decides to write their treaties. (laughs) We don't get to choose the language they use. OPEC stands for the Optional Protocol on the Involvement of Children in Armed Conflict. This prohibits child conscription. This forbids the use of child recruits in uh, conflicts, and it ensures that military recruits are no younger than 16. It also forbids, at least on paper, non-state armed groups, militias, from recruiting anyone under the age of 18 for any purpose. But again, these these are treaties, right? And treaties only really exist to the degree that they are enforced or have consequences. Does that make sense? We could all right now make a treaty about pretty much anything. We could just say we have an agreement. But unless there is some sort of cost to breaking that agreement, then it, it, in my opinion, it's just a conversation that somebody wrote down, you know? Yeah, it's true. It's true. But the good thing is that... Approximately 60 non-state armed groups have entered into agreements to stop or scale back their use, their own use of children in combat and soldiers. I mean, that's at least somewhat positive, right? Mm-hmm. It's true. And we also see that some of these non-state actors have gone into agreements, maybe not necessarily at the level of UN treaties, but they've gone into agreements like with the country or the, the regime or the government that they're opposed to. They've kind of put some rules of conflict down. But still, the practice continues today. The survivors remain largely disenfranchised, all too often ignored, often refugees uh, in in clear need of su- a support system, in clear need of psychological support. Uh, in clear need of things as mundane as as job training, you know what I mean, or or educational opportunities. Uh, as we record this today, we are about one month away from February twelfth. This is the International Day Against the Use of Child Soldiers. It's also known as Red Hand Day. We want to thank the countless individuals and organizations working to end this practice. And we want to hear your thoughts and experiences. What do you think can be done to ensure children are able to have, well, a childhood? What can institutions, communities, and governments do to, um, it sounds cool, but to disincentivize these groups that force children in the war? How can we, for these very unethical actors, increase the cost and the consequences of engaging in this practice such that it does not make sense for them to do so because obviously appealing to their humanity is just not going to work. And maybe I'm being too definitive there. I don't know. What do you guys think? What I, is there a world where, you know, we've talked about before, but a world where humans aren't really involved in war at all and it's just robots and drones or for sure, for sure. That's going to happen. I, I want to talk about something a little abstract here, guys in that vein, if that's okay, really quickly. Yeah. 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 I'm just thinking about the propaganda aspect of a lot of this and I'm I'm I'm, I'm trying to imagine just the United States military as an example. Of, oh, Captain America and Bucky. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I mean. Captain America, the the millions and millions of dollars that the US military has spent on video games, on creating video games, on sure. uh licensing military, mm-hmm. you know, uh, vehicles, weapons, uh, likenesses into things like Call of Duty, where there are young children, even though these games oftentimes are rated mature or something, they get into the hands of children all the time. And they're playing video games, identifying themselves or identifying as these characters who are in the military, who are shooting people, then watching television and the propaganda money that is outwardly now and openly spent by the military on 
everything from TV shows and movies to podcasts. I want to stop you there real quick there uh, on the movie front, because I don't know if a lot of people are aware. The U.S. military, the armed services, will make a deal with movie studios, make it very easy to use real military equipment uh, in, in a work of fiction. One caveat, so long as... Uncle Sam, or that the military is portrayed in a positive light. It's very important. So when you see when you see films where the military is doing terrible things or is the antagonist, uh, those that part those action sequences become much more expensive because they have to pay for more stuff. And and just to your point there, it it, it is to invade the minds of I would say children. I think children. Mm-hmm. And and it's just as young in an age as you can get someone to believe that this is a positive thing. This is something to aspire to. And uh, I, 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 it feels that way to me. And I'm not saying that's necessarily bad. I'm just saying it, it is somewhat insidious in that the child perhaps doesn't realize that it's occurring. Well, what, what about, uh, what about GI Joes? I loved them. I should have oh, kept yeah. him. I wouldn't have had to have a job at this point. I would have just been like a G.I. Joe tycoon. <laughs> For sure. Tycoon. Uh, well, and then what about what about the theory? This is only tangentially related. But what about the theory that um, factions of the military – military. No, keep this part in. Military. It's, it's, uh, it's weaponized cattle. The mil- the military. Uh, no, what, what about the theory that the military-industrial complex or factions thereof, what if they're fighting against the idea of more affordable education or health care because they need people to have those – like they need people to be in a bad economic situation – to join the military. I've, I've heard that. I'm sure you, have you guys heard that one too? I have, uh, it, it, it makes a lot of sense, but it's hard to prove. Well, yeah. not yet. I, I would hate to think that that could be true in any way. And even what we're speaking of in propaganda right here, it's, it's, it's PR. It is, which is propaganda. <laughs> and you know, you know, of course, obviously militaries have to do, some degree of PR in, in like in a functioning country. If it's not, if it's not a, like an iron fist dictatorship, there, there has to be PR. I mean, why am I even saying that? There's a ton of PR in dictatorships. <laughs> There's like a parade every afternoon somewhere in the world. Well, I made that up. I don't know. Yeah, but like at a certain point, PR becomes indistinguishable from propaganda. You know, propaganda is just sort of like misleading PR. I mean, PR is all about no, spin. They're the same it's, thing. They are it's, the same. You're, you're right. 100%. They, they, they very much are the same thing. Yeah. But the, the um, but I, I guess the point we're making is we're not saying that uh, we're not saying that militaries are inherently villainous overall. For for using PR, it's like you have to. It's like how are you? They, like that's that's like being a navy and not having a boat. And we want to know what you think about this practice. Uh, have you had? Uh, have you had firsthand interactions with people who have survived something like this? If so, what were your interactions like? Uh, what do you think can be done? Uh, we want to hear from you and uh we have a number of ways that you can get in touch with us yes you can reach us in the usual internet channels uh, of note uh we've got facebook where we're conspiracy stuff instagram where we're conspiracy stuff show uh you can also join our facebook group here's where it gets crazy and while you're on the internet why don't you go to itunes or apple Podcasts or whatever they're calling themselves these days and leave us a nice review it helps uh up us in the rankings and it helps people discover the show and we would very much appreciate it and you can also find us at YouTube, where we are Conspiracy Stuff. I think it's YouTube.com slash Conspiracy Stuff. Name of the channel is Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. Check out all the videos from years past, as well as videos of us having these discussions. Uh, we hope you enjoy your time there. Uh, uh, I, I always don't like saying this. Like and subscribe? 
Smash that like button! Oh wow! Like us, uh, like us, please! Oh gosh! Uh, ben and I, you, Ben and I had to do that for a long time. For a long time. <laughs> well, I think I have to pick that up again. Stay tuned. Uh, we had a couple of plot twists here in the U.S. I don't know if anybody was also watching that unfold, but uh, but it, it it stalled some of our plans. But we have big plans for the YouTube channel. Do check it out in the coming weeks, uh, coming month or so. Uh, but in the meantime, while you're sitting there saying, all right, I've watched all the YouTube videos. Okay, social media, not quite my bag of badgers, but I do have a story to share with you. We have another way. You can get in contact with us. That is our telephone number. Whether a landline, a cell, or whatever you have, you can reach us. We are one eight three three stdwytk You will have three minutes. Those three minutes are yours. They belong to you. Uh, you can tell us whatever is on your mind. Just tell us if you prefer we do not use your name uh, or your voice on the show and uh, if if you can, if you can try to keep it concise, that that helps us. Uh, th- that helps us digest it, and that makes it easier for us to share it with the best part of the show, your fellow listeners. So we would love to hear from you there. You hate phones? Look, I more than get it, uh, and that is why we always have one way you can contact us without hopping on a phone, without hopping on the Zuck book. Uh, and that is our good old-fashioned email address where we are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human-moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very of all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. <laughs> like, what did we do? It's so slow. Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you.